Are here to fuel your Rockets news. This is the Rockets Fuel Clutch Fans podcast, uh, of course, presented by Clutch Fans. And as usual, we appreciate everybody joining us this week. Um, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Binkley Hoops and my written words on the Dream Shake website, which I actually came out with an article today. Um, unfortunately, my co-host wasn't able to join us today, so I'm flying solo. Um, but as usual, we're going to have a great show. And on today's show, we have a very special guest. We have Solomon Ali of Red Nation Hoops, who's joining us today. I got to work with him a little bit on our draft coverage, um, draft lottery coverage. We had spaces um, of several weeks ago with Dave Hardesty of Clutch Fans. Had a great time there, so definitely want to bring him on the show. So let's go ahead and kick it off there. Um, Solomon, thank, thank you for joining us today, first off. I appreciate you coming on the show. And um, I know you recently started your own thing again with Red Nation Hoops, even though Red Nation Hoops have been around for a while. Um, so before we get it started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Red Nation Hoops and what you know the listeners and viewers of this podcast can expect if they subscribe to the uh, newsletter? Uh, definitely, yeah. So like six years ago, I started my own Rockets blog, and you know it was a small group of writers, and we kept it going for a couple of years, and it was fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but it, eventually, when I moved on to different media companies, I had to stop the blog, and I uh, it you know deteriorated soon afterwards and so re very recently i decided to go back to independent blogging so i decided to leave all the media companies i was working for i decided to go on my own so i've started my own newsletter at rednationnews.com uh it's a i don't want to say it's a weekly newsletter but you're going to get like six posts a month uh one of them is a actually a podcast. So if you're a fan of the Reddish News podcast, you get a you get a premium edition of that on the newsletter feed, um, as well as five written works. One of them is actually a Q and A. So that's pretty much the newsletter. Uh, you can subscribe by going to reddishnews.com and um, put your email in. Yeah, and actually, I just listened to one of your recent podcasts with Jonathan Fagan, which was a great podcast. I mean, I love the insight how it was inside of the room during the uh, whole draft lottery process. So, I mean, that was definitely a great episode right there. A lot of people need to go check out if they want some actual insight on what was going on, how tense it was inside the room. So, yeah, I definitely love that podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do appreciate the plug, like especially at the top of the show. I, I what, I've, what I've come to realize is that a lot of people at the end of the show, they, they might tune out, right, and you might not get yeah. the plug in. And doing it at the top of the show is really where you where it needs to be at. I'm still not there yet. Like men, yeah. I, I go by muscle memory, and I yes. do it at the end of the show, and that yeah. ends up costing the person that's the guest uh, some clicks. And I got I got to I got to do better at that. Do I? So I do appreciate you doing it at the top. Oh yeah, no, I I, I understand it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you you're so tuned into certain things that you kind of forget certain other things. But yeah, I definitely right. wanted to plug it at the top because I mean I know you you've been around even you know. Before you went back independent, I know, you know, at the blog had been around for a long time. So, I mean, I've been checking out for a while and I know a lot of the listeners and followers have been as well because a lot of the followers and listeners also from Clutch fans. So, I mean, I know, you know, Dave as well. So I uh, definitely wanted to get that out there. Right. Yeah. Dave's a good friend. By the way, I do apologize for being late. And I, and I wanted to say this before we start recording, because, you know, I recognize we're in a tense situation in our country right now right like uh, we can't we can't seem to agree on a lot of issues right a lot of key issues yeah. right but i do think regardless of what what side of the idol you stand on we can all agree that if you have 10 or more items you cannot be in the express lane at the grocery store you just can't. <laughs> all right i had three items today i i think we should be able yeah. to pass a law in congress that whoever can if you bring more than 10 items to the express lane at 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 Walmart, Kroger, HEB, whatever. Like you should be, you should spend a night in jail. There should be officers <laughs> at the scene. Maybe a fine involved. I don't know something. There should be some sort of recourse for you doing that. It's so like ridiculous. I had three items, I, and they're like, 
Judy had more than a dozen, and the person in front of her had more than a dozen. That is yeah. just dumb. Like, what is the purpose of an express lane if not to be fast? It's in the name, express. And ATV is <laughs> not out of this, by the way. You what, what? What's this? Fifteen items or less bullshit. Like, it's supposed to be like, <laughs> like okay. I understand you're trying to be lenient, right? You want to get as many people in line as possible. Yeah. But come on, like, can we set it to twelve? Maybe ten? Like, you really, it should be seven. It should be like if you're if you're in there with more than like seven items, you're really yeah. like not in a hurry. You have some time. So let me ask you: Does that include self checkout as well? Because we know pretty much every store is going to self checkout now. I'm glad you brought this up because I'm sure there's somebody, there's some listener. Like typing away, like, well, Salman, you could have just went to self checkout. I did. <laughs> That's the first place I went. I, I had yeah. my Greek yogurt, my French bread, and my milk in hand. I went to self checkout. Six people waiting in line for self checkout. So there's six. Uh, you know, if you've ever been to self checkout, there's six. Yeah. Counters, there's six counters, and there were six people waiting in line. I'm like, okay, I'll just go to I'll just go to Express checkout. It's gonna be fast there anyways. It's in the name Express <laughs> checkout. So yes. I, I, I'm gonna save some time. I as well go to Express checkout, and. It, it, I, I, what I encountered there was the most ridiculous thing that we do in everyday society that does not get talked about enough. You know, we talk about a lot of important issues in this country. Yes. The express lane is not talked about enough. <laughs> so I, I will agree. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that they start self-checkout because honestly, I'm faster than 99% of the people. But I do agree with especially especially the people that have maybe 10 of the same item. They count that as one item. So that is, definitely is, runs is, me crazy. Is that what they're doing? They're doing internal math there? Like, oh, I, I got 10, <laughs> 10 of soap bars. So that's one item? That's one item. So then they try to figure that into it. And that used to run me crazy. So honestly, now I'm, I'm just a self-checkout guy. And if it's more than a few items, honestly, I just do pick up and just go around the back and let them just bring the groceries out to me. Because honestly, I can't even deal with stores anymore half the time. So I understand your pain when it comes to that. Maybe that's what I got to do. Maybe I got to download one of these apps and like put stuff in Parts, but it's just, it's just it's just so much of a headache. Like it should be easy. The grocery store should, should be, be easy. And I I I I'm, like I was waiting in line. I'm hungry. I haven't ate lunch yet. <laughs> like, I, I have to do this podcast. I was late to this podcast. Uh -huh. I, I, I I gotta go. I want to go work out today. I gotta I gotta do some writing. Like I, I got stuff to do, man. Like I, I can't <laughs> wait behind this this lady who does not understand the meaning of express lane. Like it, I don't I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't I, mean, I, didn't I, mean I don't know. Back the show. I, I don't know if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, but that sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm type of episode right there. You know, trying to get people to understand what express lane means. But yeah. I, I, I feel your pain when it comes to that. So you have I have no problem with you starting off the show that way because, you know, we're going to talk about draft. We talked about that a million times, but talking about the express lane is definitely a concern. It's the important that, issues. Yeah, that should go. That should go through Congress at some point, even though we know it would never pass because they never agree on anything. So we should be uh, able to agree on this, though. This you is a bipartisan be. issue. Yeah. <laughs> you should be, but we all know how that eventually works out. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but if, if anybody out there, if there's any politicians out there listening to that, you definitely should take that to the floor and you might actually get some votes from it since we come up on an election. But I bet your anyway, approval rating will go up too. I bet, I bet that <laughs> I'm sure they all can use it at this point. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I, I digress a little bit into the Rockets here. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned earlier, you had talked to Jonathan Fagan about the draft lottery and that whole process. Um, but also I wanted to ask you, since you've been covering the Rockets for, for a long time, and we all know that the Rockets really don't have a choice when it comes down to the third pick. I mean, they can always move up and, you know, add draft picks if they want to move up, but I don't really see them doing that just because of, I don't think they see a big difference between the players at the top three. But if you had a choice, if Rafael Stone came to you and said, okay, we got the number one pick, I want your opinion on who you would take. So who would be your number one guy, regardless of, of you know, where the Rockets are drafting right now? So if I'm the Rockets, I have the top three guys in a tier, right? So I think yeah. they all have feasible cases to be the number one uh, player in this draft. Uh, I think the best fit for the Rockets, and ironically third on my board, is uh, Jabari Smith Jr. I, th I just think he fits in much cleaner in that front yeah. court. Uh, with, with Alperen Shangun, uh, with Christian Wood, should they decide to keep him, um, with KJ Martin, like he, he's just he's just a much more versatile defender. Um, and the Rockets need three point shooting really bad. Yeah. Like they're they're a really bad three point shooting team. So fit wise, I think uh, he is the cleanest fit on this particular Rockets team. I, I don't think um, I actually don't consider him to be the most talented player in this draft. I, I think right. I disagree with the consensus on that. 
but I do think uh, he is the cleanest fit for this roster. So, and that kind of actually brings up another question because this is kind of an argument I've had over and over again with some people as far as fit versus best player available. Do you feel that fit sometimes can equal best player available? Like if they're fitting on a particular team well, maybe they are actually better for that team, even though they may not have the most talent. Or do you just automatically think that best player available should always trump, you know, fit when it comes to that high of a draft pick? I think if I, I first of all, in general, like if, if I were to give you a one day, one word answer, BPA, right? Best player yeah. available. But I think if you're um, if you're someone who is in a front office, I think you should tier your big board. I think mm. you should go tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, uh, however many tiers you have, um, you know, rank the players you think are realistic, have a realistic case to be ahead of each other, but beneath each yeah. other in the same tier. And then you can go by fit, right? If they're in the same tier, you're technically not within the spirit of best player available because you think they're in the same tier. So I think the top three players in this draft are in the same tier. And at that at that point, I'm just picking the best fit. Or, or in the Rockets case, just whoever comes to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I kind of want to go back around to that because, of course, we, we do live in sort of a reality here, at least when it comes to the Rockets. And they do have the number three pick. And they... I mean, everything looks like there is going to be Paulo Bancaro. I mean, things can always change. OKC, Sam Presley could decide, well, I don't want the number two pick anymore. He can trade out of that to get another you know, handful of picks that he already has. Um, so let's just say that they do end up having Paulo Bancaro um, and he ends up being their pick. How do you see him fitting with particularly with the backcourt? Because I think that ultimately that's what's going to be the deciding factor on how this team's going to play out high how each of these players fit with the backcourt because they're going to have the ball in their hand the majority of the time. I mean, I know we're still kind of debating who should start a small forward. We're still trying to debate whether even Christian Williams is going to be on the team, something I want to talk to you about later on. But it really comes down to the backcourt because they're the main cog of this team, especially Jalen Green. So how do you think a player like Paulo Bancaro would fit with the backcourt um, considering that he's probably going to start um, at this point, Christian Wood is still on the roster, so Alperin Shangun may not be starting with him. So how do you think he fits with the backcourt as far as how they run the team, how Kevin Porter Jr. running the team? Do you see that as a good fit, um, even though, you know, you do see Jabari Smith as more of a fit for this particular team? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're a team like the Rockets, worst team in basketball, like I think you could do worse than picking who I consider to be the second best player in this draft. Like you could be in a much, much worse position. Like I think he is a ridiculously talented basketball player. Like, yeah. y- yes, the, um, we can talk about the fit here in a minute. But, I mean, just let's just talk about what Pablo bon- Paulo Banquero is. Excuse me. I mean, he is a very polished ball handler, right? Let's start there. Like, he can – he's a six foot ten, like, body of Blake Griffin ball handler, right? Like, that's, that's so unique, you know, like, for someone that size. Uh, he is someone who can score not only inside but outside, right? Yeah. And he can score – he, he has great footwork, um, and I think that's partly because of his Seattle upbringing. Those guys know how to play basketball. Those guys, those guys know how to score, right? Um, I think he, he's classically trained. I think his, his uh, parent, his mom or some, some somebody was a professional basketball player uh, yes. in that family. Yeah, so uh, you, could, you could tell. Just watching him, you could tell he was trained by somebody who knew how to play basketball. Uh, and I think he's someone who is actually a pretty talented passer. When, when he breaks down the defense and there's there's a seam, he's good at finding that seam. And not only is he good at finding the seam, he's good at delivering the pass. So the pass goes into the shoot the shooter's pocket, and that guy is in a good position to score. And he's efficient. Like he he's like what 54, 55% true shooting at the college level. I think that's pretty good. And for someone who I consider to be probably when he peaks maybe good enough to be the second best player on a championship team. You know, that's, that's a pretty compelling package. And I don't think he's as bad defensively as he's made out to be, actually. I think he's – I think there's a possibility he can get to average, to maybe even slightly above average. I, I think his feel for the game is that good. And he's huge, right? He's he's a, yes. he's a big body. Um, and I don't think – you know, when you watch him offensively, there's no, it's not like his foot speed is slow, especially in the half court. Like, he had – he has a quick first step. 
right? And he didn't get you didn't get a lot of opportunities at Duke uh, to run the floor because Coach K likes to micromanage everything, right? Um, but I think he can run the floor. So it's, there's nothing athletically that's holding him back from being a good defender. And I think, you know, you look at maybe, I think for some reason, um, people correlate athleticism with dunking and you got to, you got to contextualize the offense, right? Like they did, the Duke did not run. Like they were a very slow team. So he, I think he's a good athlete. And um, yeah, I mean that package, what I just described, I think he's, I think he's going to be, he's, has a good shooting touch. I, you know, the shooting percentages aren't great right now, like from beyond the arc, but they're good. And I think there's reason to believe that he's going to top out around 36% from three. That's a really good basketball player. Like just a really, really good uh, basketball player that seems to be pretty fundamental in terms of just how he understands offensive basketball, not selfish either. Yeah. And, you had just mentioned about his defense, which, of course, is something that a lot of people bring up when they're trying to – when they don't necessarily agree with picking Paulo Bancaro. Do you think that's more of a – because I was speaking with a couple other people um, before, especially scouts, who say that it was more of a function of having a Mark Williams behind him um, that can actually block shots as a really good defender and that maybe he didn't um, play as hard on defense as he – may do an NBA because especially if he comes to the Rockets, he's not going to have that shot blocker behind him, whoever the Rockets put in the starting lineup, whereas Christian Wood or Alperen Shangoon. Do you think that was more of a product of him just not trying as hard because he know he has a defender behind him and that maybe that will, he'll adjust that in the NBA knowing that he has to provide that because of course we all know in the NBA, they're not running zones as much as they are in, in college basketball. So it's a lot of man to man and switching. So you think that just it was more of a product of effort than ability? Um, I think effort definitely had a part to do with it. But no. here's what I'll say. Jabari Smith Jr. also had Walker Kester behind him, right? True. So it's, yeah. it's not like uh, he didn't have a safety net of his own, right, uh, defensively. Yeah. So I, I think um, I don't want to excuse the effort. That's something he needs to work on when he gets to the NBA yeah. level, when he gets with NBA coaching. I think he recognizes that it's a weakness. You know, I've seen him talk about it. So I think, you know, that's always a good step, right? Like I, I remember Jalen Green around this time, the pre-draft process, he talked about how playmaking was a concern that he wanted to work yeah. on. And when I watched him in his rookie season, he was a much more heady playmaker than I had watched in the G League. Like I watched yeah. full-length full games of him in the G League. He was not looking to pass as much as when he got to the NBA. At least that's from my perspective. He kept his head up. He looked for passes. So yeah. when you're aware of the problem, I think that's that helps, right? That helps in the player development process because you're, you know, when you're aware, it's possible you're willing to change it. And I think, um, again, there's nothing holding him back from being good or average or, you know, not a negative. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway. I think if, if you inherently believe that he has like some lateral weakness, right? then perhaps you disagree with me, right? If you believe he, he has like slow foot speed or something, but I don't know. I, just, I don't, I, I don't believe he does. I just think he, I just think he needs uh, good coaching. Um, and, you know, I, I don't, I, here's what I'll say. I don't think he's ever going to become elite defensively. Yeah. You know, I don't think, I don't think, I think that's probably out of the question, but him becoming average to good or slightly below average, you know, somewhere where he's not hurting the team actively, that's not, out of the realm of possibility when I watch him play. And you had mentioned Jalen Green and how he had become a better playmaker. If the Rockets do select Bancaro, do you see the Rockets using Bancaro more um, as a playmaker? And maybe that'll free up players like um, Kevin Porter Jr. who won't have to handle the ball as much. Do you see him more as a primary facilitator or more of a secondary guy who can handle the ball, who can, you know, jump out on uh, pick and pops and maybe take his man off the dribble and maybe they run some back back screens. There's different things, different action to actually get other people involved. Or do you see him more, just like I said, more of a, a secondary type of player where they, you know, occasionally when he bringing up the ball off, off of a rebound, he may run the offenses, but they're not necessarily setting the offense around him. Well, I'll say this. Uh, I do want to first see him in an NBA setting before I say anything declarative. Yeah. Uh, but just projecting out, because that's what we do, right? We, we have to project yes. these guys. Um, I think he's more of a secondary guy. Okay. But I also think the Rockets specifically, 
I don't think they're going to run like a heliocentric offense around one person like they did yeah. with James Harden. Like just looking at the personnel that they have, the young talent, there's not somebody like that who is that elite of a playmaker, right? I think you look at what Steven Silas wants to do and, you know, where he was hired from, the, play, the previous stops that he worked at. I think he wants to run a more ball movement offense too. Yeah. And I think, you know, ball movement, player movement, all that stuff, I think that's kind of what Houston should strive for, especially now that they have Boncaro in hand. They have, like, now guys who know how to play, right, Like or know how to pass, right? Like, yeah. they may not be elite at it, right, but they, they have Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun. He might be the one guy. I, I do want to amend something. He might be the one guy who might be elite at it, right? He, yeah. he, is, he is special as a playmaker. Yes. Uh, but having a special playmaker shouldn't preclude you from running a ball movement offense if you want to do that. You know, it could just make your ball movement offense that much better because uh, that guy might be the guy finishing plays for you, right? Yeah. Fini- making the last pass for you. Um, so I, I think when I when I envision Boncaro on the Rockets, I think I think of him more as a guy who's looking to score a lot of points, right? You know, 20, 20 to 24 points per game or something like that. Yeah. You know, good efficiency. Uh, can space the floor eventually. Um, and someone who, um, you know, is not the primary playmaker. He, he may not be bringing the ball up, but if, he, if he's catching a rebound, I think he can run with it. You know, we didn't, again, we didn't see that many opportunities for him at Duke to do that, right? So I think yeah. we, we do want to see if he can do it. But... I think it's possible. I mean, considering what he did in the tournament level, playmaking wise, like that's really what opened my eyes for him as a playmaker, right? Like before, I thought this was a two man race, like what everybody else thought is thinking right now for the number one pick, right? I thought this was uh, Jabari Smith Jr. and Chet Holmgren, and then I saw him at the tournament level making passes that I hadn't seen him play make before. I was like, oh, I, I need to take a, a harder look at this guy. Like, this guy is super intriguing as a passer. And when when I did, what I found was a complete basketball player on the offensive end, right? There aren't any holes, yeah. which is, I think, pretty big because when defenses in the NBA attempt to take things away from you, and when you take something away from him, he will have a counter because he is versatile, right? He's he's not He doesn't score in just one way he has a multitude of things that he can get to so i think when i envision him in houston's offense i envision him being a pretty effective secondary ball handler and let me ask you about that because um you had mentioned that for a long time it seemed like it was a two-man race and we've saw a lot of people that said that well orlando's going to uh, take jabari no matter what and then okc is going to take chet holmgren I mean, do you see it necessarily as that way? At that way, do you see any chance that Apollo Bancaro could somehow, you know, go up to the number one pick? I mean, I know we know Jabari just worked out for Orlando a couple of days ago. But do you think it's pretty much set, you know, one and two unless something crazy happens? I think if the general managers up up top are doing their job, they're at least taking a hard look at them. And yeah. and I would add in uh, Jaden Ivey. They're yes. at least taking a hard look at, at those two. Uh, you can't just limit yourself because um, even if you're planning to take somebody, right, if if your front office is settled on somebody, if a trade opportunity arises, you want to have that data that you've taken in, right? So you have to take a hard look at, at all four of these guys. Um, and I think res- a responsible front office is probably doing that. Here's the thing. I do see it going the way we think it's going to go. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be Jabari, Chet, and then Paulo. But I'm not gonna I'm penciling in Chet at number two. Just because I know I know Sam Presti. Like I, I, I and when I say I know Sam Presti in that I don't know Sam Presti. He is the yes. most unpredictable general manager in the NBA. Like by far. He will make trades at three AM uh literally the night before a summer league game. Before his, yeah. his team has to take the floor for summer league. He's done that before. Literally traded yeah. Paul George at 3 a.m., woke yeah, up three that. NK yeah. newsbreaker. Um, and I'm sure it was a pain in the ass for everybody working that night. But <laughs> uh yeah, he, he is he, he is predictable and that he is unpredictable. So I would not pencil I would not pen him in for anything. Uh so I think 
you know, I, I, I want to see, I think Orlando's probably telegraphing their move. They're probably going to take Jabari. Yeah. Number two, I, I don't, I'm not penciling in anything. Yeah, and you brought up Jay Navi. So I know you said that, you know, you probably see Bad Carroll going number three. But let's say that they're really, they were really close as far as their evaluation. Do you put any stock in the fact that the Rockets have Kevin Porter Jr. as that would be the determining factor? Or do you look at it as Jalen Green is really the only one that I'm worrying about building a roster around? Everybody else, you know, they, they have to fit around Jalen Green. And if Jay Navi, is the best player available. I'm still taking him, even though I have Josh Christopher, even though I have a Dacian Knicks that who, you know, a lot of people are saying the Rockets are really high on. Um, would you still consider Jaden Ivey, um, even though you already have all these guards and you really do need front court help? Yeah, the, the latter, for sure. I would still, I would still consider him. It's just like, I, I think the only guy I look at in the Rockets rebuild is you know, as a stone cold lock, this guy has to be here is Jalen Green, right? And, you know, the other two guys, or the other one guy, I would say, is Alfred Shangun. I think he I think he will probably be there. I'm not locking him in, though, because I think Jalen Green was that much better on the whole for the season. I just thought he was his close to the season. I mean, I, I've written about this. He was just ridiculous. The way Jalen Green closed the season was like, you compare him to shooting guards of his ilk, he was just way better than like Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Zach yeah. Levine, whoever you want to compare him to of that ilk, that springy uh, shooting guard type that, you know, maybe isn't heliocentric as a ball handler. He was just better than those guys uh, in his rookie year. It's just, um, yeah, I mean, sorry, but yeah, that's the, that's the one guy uh, I would, I would, I would worry about building around. And if they evaluate Jay Ivey and consider him to be, the guy, um, I would I would 100% take the guy, right? Yeah. And here's the thing. I have it, I, and I wrote about this uh, in, in, my, uh, in my newsletter. I have those three in a tier of their own. The one guy that I was scared as hell to leave out of that tier was Jaden Ivey. He scares the yeah. hell out of me, like, in <laughs> yeah. terms of being wrong. Like, I just, I, I feel like he can make a lot of people look foolish. Uh, he is, his rate of improvement from high school to college, to the second year of college, it's yeah. just it's he made a jump every single step of the way, and that work ethic that he has, son of a coach, right? So he yeah. he, he clearly uh, puts the work in. That work ethic would scare me because I think there's a possibility what we've seen from him already is not what we're going to see from him at the NBA level. He may have already gotten better from, since he's last since the last time he's played his last college game. Yeah. Right. Just, just because just going off of history. Yeah. And I kind of want to ask you something before we wrap up this first segment. Um, some uh, when you were speaking, I was thinking of Jalen Green, as we all saw his last several games. I mean, really, the the, the week right before all star games really, really started to pick up. But that last the last several games, you know, we were putting up 30 and 40 points every single game. Do you see that was more of a product of now Christian Wood and the Eric Gordons of the world weren't on the weren't in the rotation and he had the freedom to take those shots, or do you just see it as that was just a natural progression of where Jalen Green was heading towards anyway? He just looked comfortable. Like yeah. from my perspective, he just looked like a guy who was comfortable in his own skin. I'm trying to pull up the stats for you. I I, I, I apologize. Let me see. No, no, you. <laughs> it's just. Like the stats are just ridiculous. Every time I saw them, I was like, I, yeah. I was, it was coming out of my eyeballs. Like it's just ridiculous. Uh, can't find it right now. Can't find yeah. it right now. But it was, but he was shooting close to forty percent. Um, his last twenty or so games from three. Um, I know he was averaging over twenty points easily. So yeah, I mean the, the stats were ridiculous, especially compared to as we know beginning of the season where it was a lot of factors that went into that. I found but, it. I found it. Okay. Yeah. So so this is Jalen Green since the All Star break. Okay, yeah. 22 points per game, four mm -hmm. rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game, close to 60% true shooting. Wow. That's an all-star. Yes. Like, that, that, those are all-star stats. If, if he had posted that for the entire season, he would be in the discussion for the all-star game. Yeah. Right? Um, the fact that he posted that as, as a 19-year-old or whatever, he turned 20 towards the end of the season, you know what I mean. Yeah. The fact that he posted that at his age... It, it's incredible. 
It's incredible. And and he was he got he improved from every level of the floor. Went from fifty went from sixty percent um went from fifty six percent in the restricted area to sixty five percent. Went from twenty eight percent in the mid range to forty eight percent. Went from twenty eight percent from three point range to thirty nine percent. Thirty nine point nine percent. Yeah. Twelve percentage points in three point percentage. And again, forty nine percent true shooting to damn near sixty. Wow. Like that's what he was. That that's the kind of player he was. And I don't know, man. I I I, I when I watched him to close the season, it made me question my own opinions about what I thought of him as, about him as a prospect. Like I, yeah. I had him fourth on my board, right? Um, I had I had it Cade, I had it Mobley, I had it Suggs, and then I had it Green. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my, first of all, I'm horribly wrong on Suggs. Like, it looks like it so far. The early returns make me yeah. look really foolish in that area. He, he does not look good. Uh, he's been hurt, to be fair, but he has not looked yeah. good. Um, second of all, I mean, if he's posting this kind of ceiling, he may be your cornerstone talent, your foundational guy. He may be that, yeah. that guy. Um, and just watching the playoffs right now, can he reach a ceiling like Jason Tatum? I don't think it's out of the question. Of course, yeah. Jason Tatum is much bigger, much better defensively. But in terms of that level of scoring and that level of, of efficiency, I'm not ruling it out anymore. Like I, I'm not. I just think he's yeah. he played that well to close the season. I, I just thought that was an, uh, that was a byproduct of him getting comfortable in the NBA. Uh, I thought perhaps I was trying to figure out why he was struggling so much at first half. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. You know, is is it because he's too skinny? Is it because the ball handling's not tight enough? Is it because um, you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't know what it was, but that second half of the season, that drastic of an improvement, I mean, he didn't gain weight. He didn't become a better ball handler. He just shot the <laughs> ball better. Yeah. Right? So that's just, that just means he was just uncomfortable for some reason or another that first half, and he got comfortable in that second half. Yeah. And also, I think that it also helps that, I mean, people forget that Coach Siles is he's still really young as far as when it comes to head coaches. I mean, He's still trying to learn a team as well. And then you have the whole factor with trying to play Daniel Tice, Christian Wood, and Jay Sean Tate together. I mean, that was another factor. And also, the numbers you were pointing out as far as a restricted area, I think that he started to get some calls that he wasn't getting at all at the beginning of the year. And he also just seemed like a lot more confident driving to the basket. He didn't seem to be shying away from contact like he was earlier in the year. So, yeah, I think that was all kind of factors into it. And, and one more thing I want to ask you before we, uh, you know, cut off the first segment. You've been covering NBA for a long time. I don't think people realize how big of a deal it is that the Rockets went from probably the second greatest player in their franchise history straight into Jalen Green, and now they have a number three pick this year. I mean, a lot of teams don't have that ability to be able to get lottery picks right after a franchise player leaves. Usually they – they in mediocrity for several years. So, I mean, is is that normal to see that type of progression from you going from the second best player ever? Now you're, you already have a Jalen green and now you have a no, no uh, number three pick the following year. I mean, think about the gap the Sixers had from Iverson to Embiid. (laughs) Like it was like 10 years. Like they went, it was like they got Iverson left in Oh five Oh four, something like that. In the mid two thousands, they got Embiid in the mid, mid 2010s. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's that's how long it can take in the NBA. Of course, some teams get lucky. Right. And um, the Rockets certainly seem to be one of them. The Lakers look. I mean, look how unlucky they got from Kobe, oh, the wow. end of Kobe yeah. Bryant to getting LeBron. Right. That 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 was a significant amount of time that they were out of the playoffs. Significant for the Lakers. Not significant for any other <laughs> franchise. Right. True. Yeah. Um, it was just. Um, they're always going to be in the playoffs. My entire lifetime, they've been in the playoffs. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, that is that's it's it's a quick turnaround for sure. And these the fact that they got insane this lucky in a flattened lottery system, like the lottery yeah. literally got much harder for Houston to win or for Houston to come out, yeah. you know, on top, right? And they managed to do that. Like they were a coin toss away from not having Jalen Green, 50, 50 odds. Yeah. And that, that, that coin toss went in their favor. So yeah, it, it is extremely fortunate for them. Um, in this draft too, we consider this to be a three man draft. They got the third pick. <laughs> like it's, it's like, that's, it's 
it's, it's good luck. It, it is it's good luck. So it's also good good team building in that yeah. they set up their they set up their roster salaries in a way to actually be in a position to still have max cap space in the very new, near future, right? Yeah. So if to to build off of this, they will have even better um, flexibility to add a, another star if they if they if an opportunity arises for them to do that. And they and they've traded up for Shangun, right? Like I think yeah, true. You you look at the position the Rockets were in after the Russell Westbrook trade, and they replenished their draft stocks. They've got they got two cornerstone talents in Bancaro and Jalen Green. Uh, they traded up for a, possibly another one, um, and they have also put themselves in a position to get another one through free agency. Right, like that—that's—that's that's just you got to give it up to Rafael Stone, right? I mean, he's—he's he's fairly new into his job, but he seems like he knows what he's doing. He—he has he, put together, um, he has planned this thing very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I just hopefully people realize that because I mean I've been following the Rockets for a very long time, ever since the '90s, um, and. We know we all know about Akeem, but then there was a lot of lean years after Akeem, even with Steve Francis um, coming, you know, as exciting as he was. There was a struggle with Steve Francis. And then, you know, of course, you had the Yaw and Tracy McGrady years and dealing with injuries, but, you know, they were still fairly successful. But then you had a lot of mediocre years before Harden got here with the Kyle Lowry's and the Kevin Martins of the world. So, yeah, people should you know, realize how lucky they are that the Rockets are going basically from second best player ever to a player like Jalen Green, who is already your cornerstone. And like you said, now getting Ben Carroll and, you know, who knows what happens next year. You know, that's a whole different story for a different time. But um, I mean, think people, about how long it felt in the moment from yeah. the Tracy McGrady trade to James Harden. That was only yes. two years. It was really yeah. only like two, three seasons. Right. Yeah. And that felt like an eternity. And for Houston, they only had to wait 11 months. Like, that's yeah. that's just it's blink of an eye. Yeah, exactly, and especially when everybody was how everybody thought. Well, a lot of people thought the trade went when they did trade James Harden that they really didn't get anything for James Harden. And as we see now, a lot of that's already. I think a lot of people didn't think it was going to happen as fast as it's happening because we didn't know that James Harden was going to want to leave Brooklyn. You know, basically as soon as he got through the door. So the Rockets are already reaping the rewards from that trade a lot faster than most people thought. They probably thought it was going to be several years down the line. So, um, like, like as we've been saying, I mean, the Rockets are extremely lucky, and they also put themselves, like you said, in the position to even have these draft picks. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the future, and we'll see what this happens. This first pick to, wasn't supposed yeah. to be good. This first pick yeah. from the Brooklyn Nets was not supposed – this is supposed exactly. to be one of the bad picks, yeah. right? And it's it's pick 17. And yeah. it's, it's pick 17 in a draft where, like, I would say the talent falls off after 14. So you're in position to get a lottery level talent. If, if you know, a few teams select different players, you can get a lottery level talent here. You likely are going to get a lottery level talent here if you pick right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is basically gravy at this point with this 17 pick because, of course, we all know they still have a lot of the pick swaps coming up with Brooklyn and who knows what's going to happen with Brooklyn and with Ben Simmons and if Kevin Durant's even going to stick around and if they, gonna, if they even want to keep Kyrie Irving. So, the Rockets are in a really good position, um, as we see. And something I actually want to talk about in the second segment is a current player that they already have, Christian Wood, and some of the news that just came out recently about him and contract extension. So I definitely want to get your opinion on that. So everybody stick around, and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Rocket Fuel Podcast presented by Clutch Fans, and we're joined by Solomon Lee of Red Nation Hoops. And in the second segment, um, I wanted to get Solomon's opinion on Christian Wood, who recently um, had a mini interview he did right before he threw out the first pitch for the Houston Astros, where the question was asked, if I'm not mistaken, by uh, Mark Berman. Or, or, I'm not exactly sure who it was asked probably him. Mark. It was probably, probably Mark. Mark. <laughs> More than likely. Um, uh, they, they were talking about, have there been any talks about contract extension? And, and Christian Wood said that, there have been talks that there possibly could be more. So let me start there by asking you, first off, um, do you take anything from this or just mainly, well, most players are going to have contract talks with the teams that they're with, especially when their contracts are coming up. Or do you actually see that as something that the Rockets could possibly could be considering? Because we have saw a lot of reports state that the Rockets are really high on Christian Wood, of course, a lot higher than most Rockets fans are, and that they really like his game and that they really value what he brings to the team. So, 
Do you see this as something or just kind of just what happens with most players when it comes to contract extensions towards the end of their contract? Yeah, it's the responsible thing for them to do to gauge uh, what the price is going to be on Christian Wood, right? I think even even if you have no intention to resign him, if he's if he's willing to resign for multiple years on a bargain rate, it's responsible to see if that's possible. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really see that as an indication as to whether or not he will or will not sign a contract extension. Um, it is uh, interesting uh, to see the reporting in the past couple of days that they have been at least exploring the idea of moving him uh, as they are in position to get like four bigs uh, by the end of the draft, right? Like, they're going to have Boncaro and House, Shangun, KJ Martin, Jay Sean Tate, Usman Garubas, like five bigs, honestly. So there's going to be a log jam there for Christian Wood to come back to. Um, so listen, like, I don't want to get into the Christian Wood. I, I, I guess I can because it's more publicly acceptable to talk about it now, right? Like when I first started talking about it, <laughs> yeah. I used to get ripped. But here's the thing. When you look at what Christian Wood um, is on the Rockets, right? The, the rest of the Rockets roster is 22 or younger, right? The yeah. most of their core, right? We're talking, if you consider KPJ to be part of their core, KPJ, Jalen Green, Upper and Shingun, KJ Martin, all those guys are 22 years or younger, right? Yeah. And they're signed to long-term cheap contracts. Uh, and they will likely be able to re-sign them for longer-term contracts, right? Because they're on the rookie deals, the restrictive agency, all that stuff. So Christian Wood is 26 years old. Yeah. And he has one year remaining on his contract. And the Rockets are in position... Um, to, to capitalize on a crap load of cap space uh, that summer. And they may not be able to guarantee a bargain rate moving forward on Christian Wood because he's played well, right? He's not, like, I think even if you have your problems with Christian Wood, it's hard to look at his productions and not and say he's a bad player. He's a good player, you know, really productive offensively, um, you know, can space the floor, uh, can theoretically run pick and roll, even though he doesn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, that kind of big has value, and they've been able to get him for a bargain rate. And really, for me, if I'm if I'm the Rockets, it's what can I get for him now versus what contract I can sign him to, yeah. right? Or what contract does he want? You have to weigh all that stuff. And also, you have to weigh the fact that you need to give some of these players in the front court some oxygen, right? They need some time to grow. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen if he stays on the roster. But again, like if they are indeed, they are super high on him. Uh, that's true. They are, uh, they, they do want to keep him if they can. I just question uh, the logic in signing him to a gargantuan contract. So that kind of leads me to two parts I want to ask you. So first part is what, well, first off, would you re-sign him? Um, and if you would, what would be a reasonable contract in your mind as far as amount of money and length of the contract? Okay. Um, so I would re-sign him to at most like, 17 18 mil a year um probably in the range of three to four years i don't i would try to avoid a fifth year if i can and if i can get him for that rate i think that's reasonable if i can get him for even cheaper uh i think that's even that would be even better that'd be more preferable if i get him for 15 mil a year for you know three or four more three or four seasons that's kind of the range where i'm like okay yeah you do it 17 18 i think about it I, I would think about it. I, if they sign it, I wouldn't kill them for it because I think that's a reasonable rate for him. Yeah. That's like probably his proper market value. But where I stand, I think you should be pursuing under market value because I don't think um, that's that's where I would sign him. That's when I would so you, to answer your first question. If I can, I would sign him if I can get him for under market value. Gotcha. So if I can get him for fifteen mil, that's where I would you know fifteen mil or less. That's where I would do it. If I can, if I have to pay. You know, more than that, I would be very hesitant because I just don't personally view him as Houston's as part of Houston's long term future. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to the other part of the question I want to ask you. 
Um, let's say that he is asking for more money, which of course he probably is. Now, whether he gets right. it from the Rockets or any other team, um, that's a whole different story. I mean, from a lot of reports coming out, it doesn't look like a lot of teams value him enough that where they, they would be paying him twenty plus million dollars a year. But yeah. let's just say he's you know he's standing firm. He wants a certain amount of money. The Rockets aren't willing to pay him. Um, are you are you of the mind that you should still trade him, even though you let's say you are able to get a a mid-round first-round pick from a team like uh, Miami or someone like that, where it's going to probably be in the 15s or the 20s. Would you still trade him if you have to take back a bad contract, for instance, like a Duncan Robinson? Some people may not see it as a bad contract, but he is making close to $18, $19 million a year over the next several years. Would you take back a a bad contract just to move Christian Wood so that you can say you're not giving him up uh, or letting him walk in the free agency and not getting anything for him? So it depends on what player is available at 15, right? So if you're trading him, uh, this kind of trade would happen almost assuredly on draft day. So you can kind of see what's available at 15, right? And if if what's available at 15 is what you have on your board, it's like seven. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You take that guy, you take back the bad salary. Uh, Okay. Duncan Robinson's uh, deal extends to what year? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's another three years. I think it, it stands like to 2025, 2026. Okay. And he'll be yeah. making around 19, 20 million in that last year. Yeah. I, I, I it would suck. Uh, yeah. I would do it though. I, I, I would do it because, um, here's the thing, man, like that you're getting back a player that you consider to be top half of the lottery. Yeah. Right. In this theoretical situation. Now, yeah. if, if it's, you know, a player, that is, you know, in that 10 to 15 range, which you traditionally get, I would probably say no or be very hesitant if, if that's the length of the contract and if that's the money. Just because you want to maintain flexibility, man. Yes. Like, you don't, you only have so many years where you can act outright sign a free agent uh, to max dollars, right? You, don't, you only get so many opportunities, especially now, because now your players are on rookie deals. Yes. And your books are fairly clean. It's not going to be like that for much longer. Jalen yeah. Green is, is going to get a max contract if he plays like this or if he continues on this trajectory, right? Alperin Shangun is going to demand significant money if he yes. continues on with his signif- with his trajectory. Um, Paulo Boncaro, if we if he is what I am projecting him to be, he is going to demand significant money. So your books aren't going to be like you're not going to be in a position to where you can sign these guys very easily. Uh, much longer right and i think you just have to keep that in mind when you know you're dealing with contracts of longer length and significant sum so speaking of another possible contract extension i mean kevin porter jr is going to be in that boat here pretty soon as well um now you mentioned earlier that um some people may consider him part of the core some people may not what's kind of your feeling on kevin porter jr um do you see him first off as part of the core and the amount of money that he's going to ask for, do you think is going to be similar to what Christian Wood looking for or more like in the maybe $12, $15 million range? And again, would you sign a Kevin Porter Jr. considering that he is, you know, a few years younger than Christian Wood and that, you know, he may be able to, you know, work better with Jalen Green because he is around the same age. So would you consider giving a, a Kevin Porter Jr. extension, like let's say now, if he's asking for, Twelve million dollars a year over the next four years. That rate, yeah. yeah. That 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 rate, yes, I do it. But I, I have a question for you. How would you define part of the court? So I would say a player that you think can help you win when it comes to winning in the playoffs, because we all know the Rockets aren't going to be competing this next year. Maybe the year following, they can start competing for that play-in or you know seven or eight spot. But I would say three years, four years down the line when you were expecting the Rockets to start competing for championships. I, I would consider that more of the uh, being part of that core. So can that player be outside of the starting lineup? That's a good question because at that amount of money, then that's when it starts to become a little bit tricky. Um, I would say I, I would want Kevin Porter Jr., if he's making a certain amount of money, to be part of that starting lineup if you're going to give him that money. So here's what I'll say. Um, $12 million today isn't $12 million uh, 10 years ago, True. right? It's not yeah. It's not the same money. 
Um, but I, I, I do get your point in that the money does matter as to where he's placed in the rotation. Having a $20 million a year bench player is not ideal. Yeah. Uh, the Rockets were actually in that position a couple years ago with Ryan Anderson. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I do get your point. But at that rate, if he's your sixth or seventh man, that's a guy who's important for you yeah. to, to your objective of winning playoff games. I think that's a guy who can be moved if you if you need to move him. Uh, that's a guy who is, um, you know, at a reasonable deal. The way to what you described was actually a very reasonable deal, $12 million a year. Uh, if, he, if he accepts that, Houston should definitely try and get that done. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you're also you have to have to uh, to take into account that you're not in any rush. You can play the restricted free agency game. Yeah. Right. So you can you can let the market dictate what what Kevin Porter Jr. is worth. Now, if you if you believe you can get him for under market, yeah, you, you then you then you do the extension. That's that's when you do extensions. The, the only two situations I think are reasonable to do extensions, under market deals, and and for sure in a bullet max contract guys yeah. right so like your jason tatum to the world they, they get the max contracts um extensions right um your kevin porter juniors of the world if you can get it for under market value yeah you do the extension yeah and also i kind of want to ask you because we were just you know talking about possible possibility of being part of a core and what exactly does that mean and of course, we all know about next year's draft and how everybody's talking about it. How you know how much of a generational draft it can be, one of the best drafts ever. If you had the choice, if you had a fifty-fifty chance of getting a top three pick, or you had a choice of being in the play-in game, getting that experience, like a Memphis did a couple of years ago, that seemed to kind of propel them into taking the next step this year. Would you rather them be in a play-in game or be like in the playoffs, or would you rather take that chance, fifty-fifty chance of getting one of those top three picks where? everybody's saying can be some of the best players drafted in the last several years. So, okay. Well, I, I do want to, I do want to say off the, off the jump, I have not done much research in the next year's draft. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm a procrastinator I, by nature. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wait until at least where the college basketball season started to watch any of these guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I understand. Um, so I, I, I don't know how good, uh, Henderson is or Wembenyama. I, I, yeah. I, I, I've read that they're pretty good, but I, I, I have not seen them with my own eyes. So I, I, I don't know, you know, yeah. um, if, if it is a generational draft, uh, at least at the top and you have, what, what were the odds you placed on it? 50, 50. So I would say a 50, 50 chance that you get a number three pick or let's say the other 50% that you don't get that number three pick, you fall now further in the draft. So now you're bringing in a six or seven pick and you're starting basically another year where you're having to build up from being one of the worst teams in the league. Or would you rather be in the play-in, which means that your young players are playing at a level that's a lot better than they're playing at right now? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's an interesting question because if you're in the play-in tournament, that means you've had a pretty significant jump yeah. right from where you are right now. That means you impressed a lot of people. That means you potentially impressed a lot of free agents. Yeah. Right? And at that point, maybe you are in the race for some free agents that you thought you weren't right now. You know, max caliber types. Right? So you have to factor that into the equation as well. So if I if, this is a, first of all, this is a completely hypothetical world. Nobody gets to pick yeah. between these two things. Uh, by the way, <laughs> yes. is, is this a three-man draft? Is, is that is it is it Wembenyama, well, Henderson, and who else? So they also saying the Thompson twins is possible. Um, there's several other players. There's a couple of players that's going to be on Duke. So they actually saying it's also probably six or seven deep next year. They're saying it's a lot deeper than this year's draft, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, that is that. That's, that's a tough position to be in i would say i would probably i don't know because <laughs> yeah. if if Wembenyama is really like a generational talent right if he's if he is like lebron or kevin durant or whatever people are comparing him to yeah or henderson right if henderson's that guy i mean you you do want the opportunity to take that yeah. at this but that that much of an improvement is also quite significant 
And it also does indicate that you probably just drafted a franchise player, right? Yeah. It, it, it probably means that Boncaro is an all-star caliber prospect. Yeah. I guess I take the bird in hand. Yeah, I, I take yeah. the jump. I take the jump because yeah. there's no guarantee the lottery odds are too flat. Um, and you, you do know that you have a foundational t- uh, player in green, at least I believe so. Um, yeah. And if you've made that leap, I'm going to assume you have at least one other guy on the roster that's a foundational talent. Maybe that's Boncaro or Shingun. Um, probably, probably a little, a little bit of both. Or, you know, could be one of those guys is a foundation player. One of those guys is a really, really good player. Um, so yeah, I, I take, I take the guarantee that yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in the right direction. I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. I probably take the plan tournament. Yeah, and, and 50, I agree. Be- odds. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree because. We've seen the Rockets have the worst record the last two years, and they still didn't get the number one pick. So no, it's not yeah. a guarantee, you know, one way or another. As you said, with the flat lottery odds now, it's definitely not the same as it used to be several years ago. Um, where the you know, worst record, you had a lot better chance of getting the number one overall pick. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, agree with you on that. Um, and uh, and but Cole, to be clear, yeah, like 50-50 odds, that doesn't exist. It's 36% odds. Right? Yeah, so it's even less, even, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, I, I, I probably – now that I th- now that I put that in the equation, yeah, you you got you got to take the plan tournament. It's just yeah. it's just too risky. It's just too risky. Like you got lucky the last two years. You want to play? You want to play poker again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are great odds. You know, especially when it comes to people's jobs. And that's actually one of the, a couple of questions I want to ask you right before we wrap up. What's kind of your feel on Coach Silas as far as what the front office feels about him? Because let's just say the Rockets again are a bottom two or three team. I mean. Me, logically, I say you still give him another chance because he came into a completely different situation than what he signed up for. He didn't sign up to be coaching a bunch of rookies. He signed up to be coaching James Harden, possibly Russell Westbrook, depending on how you look at the timeline. But he he, he signed on to, be, uh, to coach James Harden and then coach players around him. I mean, that's the main reason why Christian Wood was brought in. He was brought in to be a second or third piece around James Harden. But if they have another bad year, and we know that, you know, when it comes to being patient, not all owners are the same. Some owners aren't as patient as others. They just see the record and that's all they care about. What's kind of your feel on what the Rockets would do if the Rockets do have another season where they're a bottom two or three teams? Do you think it's based on record or you think it's more based on how they're going to look? How are the younger players progressing? So we should probably factor in that Rafael has been with the Rockets for a very long time. Yes. You know, like we're talking 04. He, yeah. he came on yeah, over to Maury. Yeah. Right. So he, he has some institutional knowledge there. He's, he's seen how the organization has handled coaches. And traditionally, they've handled coaches pretty fairly. Like, yeah. coaches that coach the Rockets finish their contracts. You know, like Kevin McHale aside, every other coach has finished their contract. Yeah. Right. And I would say for Silas, I don't see any rush. For him not to finish his contract now that third year is the last guaranteed year on his contract i believe yes. and that fourth year True. is non-guaranteed so theoretically you, you are still honoring that contract you can keep that reputation alive um and i would say if right now if i'm houston i'm in no i'm in no rush right now yeah. right now right like i think you you let it play out i i, re- I recognize Salas hasn't done i would say the best job uh, i you know, I haven't seen anything to indicate that he is a good to elite coach. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, I, I've seen, I've had some questions with rotations, with minute distribution, with uh, lineup decisions, right? Um, but at the same time, uh, this is, as you said, this was a tough position that he came into. He came into coach Russ James and Christian Wood, yeah. right? Or not even Christian Wood. Christian Wood. He, was he there by that time? He wasn't there. No, yeah, I think he came a little bit afterwards because, yeah, this was like during the offseason where he was talking to Russ and, and James and they actually gave their blessing to hire him as a coach. Right. So, yeah, he, he came here to coach Russ and James. Yeah. And Russ and James were gone by the time he had coached his <laughs> yeah. 10th game. Right. Like that. that's a, t- a really tough. So that first year, I understand uh, I'm willing to – excuse a lot of that first year but i'm not it doesn't make me feel good to do that but i you know i just i have a conscious you know like i i i, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to think that i'm a good person so i i recognize that that's uh that's a really tough spot to be in 
And yeah. so I, I would say, I, I would excuse that first year. The second year, is it's a little damning, you know, just because the Rockets made very marginal jumps in a lot of areas. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really young roster, but they also started the season playing Jay Sean Tate, Christian Wood, and, and Daniel yeah, Tice. And yeah. together. And from the jump, a lot of us thought that was a, ba- a bad idea, right? Just the floor spacing was just a really, yeah. really big question mark. And I don't know. I, I, I think that first year was damning. I'm willing to give it another year. And then, you know, I, I'd wait. And then I, I'm willing, I think I, the earliest I'd be able to, I'd be willing to make a decision is probably that third year. So if the Rockets are in that position that you described, you know, they're a, t- a top pick in the lottery again. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I might. I might not honor that fourth year. You know, I, I might just let him go at that point. And yeah, I don't. And... I don't take these decisions lightly, by the way, because like again, these guys are super young, and you do not want to change coaches on someone you consider to be a franchise player more than like one or two times. You cannot. You have to keep that bullet in the chamber as long as you possibly can, because then, like, you can only give that. You know, when you're talking about trying to retain a good, really good player, right? Like you can only say, "Hey, let's try something new." So many times, yeah. You can only say that to that player so many times. So if you're already starting off from the jump, you know, like year two of Jalen Green changing his head coach, you can't use. You've got maybe one more chance to change a head coach on him again before he leaves. Yeah, and I think that people have to factor that in, and. One more question I want to ask you before we wrap up the show is what's let's say they do get Bancaro. We don't know who they're going to get with 17. I don't think they're going to be big players in the free agent market. So what's kind of your feel on how you think the Rockets will be next year? Do you see a marginal improvement? Do you see them having basically the same record? I know it's kind of hard to factor all that in. I know in the whole roster, but just from what you know now, do you see them making a, a good enough improvement next year to where you see them going in the right direction? They should be fighting for the play-in tournament, I think. Yeah. If 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 they're rebuilding the right way, which I think they are, if if things are going according to plan, they should make significant jumps, you know? Uh, yeah. I know there's a lot of people that want that top pick, right? I, I, yes. I, I, I get it. Like, I, I totally understand that uh, inclination. I would say you want some assurance that your rebuild is headed in the right direction. And if you're yeah. losing year in, year out, Without trying to, which I again, like most last year they do, they weren't trying to lose. This year, they yeah. weren't trying to lose. They just happened to lose a bunch of games. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe they at, towards the end of the season they might have rested some guys down the stretch. Of course, that happens. But you know, you're talking at that point the difference between one or two more wins, right? Yeah. So they weren't trying to lose these past two years, and they still were terrible. So if they yeah. again they go into another season not you know, not trying to lose, that's, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not great. I don't, I don't want to say it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. for a rebuild. It's not great. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, like you said, I, I think that the front office is not going to be in a huge hurry. They're going to be looking more at player development. And if you get another film like you did with Jalen Green to end the year, I think that they'll be fine with that. If you can get that from Paulo Bancaro and see Apra and Shangun take off the next year. So like you said, I think the Rockets, um, are trying to do a little bit differently as far as the way they handle their coaches. They've always, like other than Kevin McHale, which was more of a James Harden thing than a front office thing, um, I think that they're really trying to let it play out and see how it happens. And I think going into this next year, we'll see that. And, it, I mean, it just be really interesting how all that's going to play out. Um, but before we wrap up, Osama, why don't you, again, let everybody know where they can find your uh, great content and definitely tell, tell them about your uh, newsletter again. Well, you're making me blush. Um, so it's it's at Salman Ali NBA, S A L M A N last name Ali NBA on Twitter, and I tweet out all my work. The website is RedNationNews.com. It's an email and newsletter. You can put your email address in. There's a free version and a paid version. So if you're not comfortable paying up front, or maybe you don't want to pay for the year, you can pay for one month. You can get it free. You know, you can test out the content before you dip your foot in all the way and get a yearly subscription. Um, or you can just stay month to month, whatever whatever you prefer. Um, yeah, the podcast is Red Nation Hoops on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever the hell 
people post podcast seasons. Are there other directories? I'm not, I I know there's there's iTunes. There's yes. There's not even iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts. It's yeah. Apple Amazon Podcasts. Music. Everybody. Stitcher. Like you said, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. You can listen to it on Amazon if it's there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wherever you find your podcast, you'll be able to find yeah. Red Nation News. Um, yeah. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of yeah. fun talking rockets with you, man. Like the first, I enjoyed our first conversation uh, during the lottery stream, yeah. and I enjoyed this, man. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you coming on, and um, Dave would definitely want to come on. He's out having fun on vacation, so he definitely wants to say hello. But uh, <laughs> he'll probably join us next time. We definitely want to have you back on because, as we know, there's still a lot of time before next season. We're going to have a lot of time to discuss the draft once it actually happens, which I'm looking forward to. So we can actually have something else to talk about other than whether they should draft Van Carroll, even though I know we're still going to have those conversations, but I appreciate you coming on. Uh, definitely had a great time. For sure. I, I had fun. Yeah, that's going to do it for today's show. As usual, we appreciate everybody that jumps on every week and make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Apple, um, wherever you get it from, like like we were just saying. Um, also on YouTube, make sure you're liking, subscribing um, to our podcast on there. Uh, we're up on youtube our video every week so make sure you're checking it out there it's on the clutch fans website that's our clutch fans uh youtube page um so you can always check out all our videos there and as usual we appreciate everybody that comes on every week and we'll be back next week with another episode of rocks fuel podcast presented by clutch fans you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.